to the Crossroad International Church podcast. We're so glad you joined us. It is our prayer that God will use this message to bring comfort to those who are hurting, give hope to those who find themselves in what seems to be a hopeless situation, and to encourage the one who is struggling through a difficult season of life. For more sermon audio, resources, or if you'd like to contact us, please visit CICKuwait.com. We'd love to hear from you. of God, if you didn't notice from the worship songs, is holiness. And I want to start with an example. Um, I had a good friend, a good couple friends in quite a few years ago, and we were pretty close. They're in my life group. Um, we had a lot of fun together. One thing, uh, one of the, the, the female in the couple, she had a really difficult time with was with her father. And her father claimed to be a Christian, uh, claimed to love Jesus, but she en- he ended up leaving his wife and marrying a younger woman. And this caused huge amounts of strife in the relationship um, with the whole family. Uh, the, the mother was devastated, the wife was devastated, the Children were devastated. They didn't know what happened. And this man claimed to be a Christian. And in his mind, something had changed about God. And his reasoning was, God wants me to be happy. God wants That, that was his reasoning to the family. God wants me to be happy. And this goes to show that if we, our understanding of who God is can be changed in just a little way, and it could lead, lead to great destruction like it did in that family. And it was such a terrible thing. And God does want us to be happy, but not in that way. God wants to be happy in the ultimate beautiful way that brings life, not death. Right? And this, so this is, that illustration is also true in the Bible. Um, and J.I. Packer says this, that we can know a great deal about God without much knowledge of him. We can know a great deal about God without much knowledge of him. And this is true in the Bible. In 1 Kings, after Solomon's rule, the kingdom was divided into two, and the first king of northern Israel was named Jeroboam. And what he did to keep the people divided was he... The temple, if you remember, is in Jerusalem. So people need to worship God in the temple. But he's like, no, we're going to do something different. We'll make golden calves, similar to what Aaron did earlier on in Exodus. He made golden calves, and he made a feast, similar to the Feast of Booths. And he he took counsel in his heart, because I'm going to keep the people divided, right? So it was a small change. They were still worshiping initially some form of Yahweh, of the true God, right? Because none of, the, none of the northern prophets like Elijah, Micaiah, Elisha mentioned this because it started off with them worshiping God just with some small differences. And then soon after, it leads, leads to destruction. So we need to know about, the reason we're doing the attributes of God is we want to know who God is correctly. Because if we don't know who he is correctly, 
it's a small step and then another small step and then we're worshiping false gods right we don't want to worship a jesus or a god that's in our image but in the image that he knows that he is so it is important to know the god that we love and worship so my scripture today is from a leviticus 11 verses 44 and 45 It says, for I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. You shall not defile yourself with any swarming thing that crawls on the ground, for I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. So what's happening here, okay? God chooses Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, He chose these people to be his chosen people. They were enslaved by the Egyptians, and God called Moses to deliverance. And through many miracles, if you've seen the Ten Commandments, you know what this is all about, okay? Led them out, and they're meeting back on the same mountain that God originally called Moses, Mount Sinai. And this is where he's starting to give the law, okay? Not much, before that, not much is known about who, the, who Yahweh is. Yahweh revealed himself in some ways to the patriarchs, but there's not a lot, we didn't, they didn't know much about who he was. So this is where he's giving him the law, right? About 613 laws, and these laws were designed to bring holiness, and purity. The law was given to set people about apart for God, which is why you have in the middle of the route not eating bugs, okay? Uh, we, today we don't do this because we're in the new covenants, but that was also part of God's law and it's sandwiched in between this theological truth about being holy because they were unhygienic, they're gross looking, and also there's theological reasons, Okay? I mean, you can eat bugs. You're not, you're not sinning if you eat bugs, okay? But they are gross. And <laughs> ancient pagan religions worship bugs. If you know the scarab from Egypt, that's just one example. That's the dung beetle. So a lot of these ancient religions were worshiping these, these bugs. And he's saying, no, you be separate. You be different than the world around you. This is what God wanted for them. This is why he commanded this, okay? Holy means set apart, separated. It can also mean pure. The opposite is kind of unclean or common. If you look in the rest of the chapter of Leviticus 11, there's all kinds of laws about what can be eaten and what can't be eaten. Things that are common, no, you're going to, God wants them to set themselves apart from these common things and only eat what he required them to eat to make them a different people. These are God's people. He wants them to be different and look different and act different. That's what holiness says. Because he says, you be holy, do these things because I am different. I am set apart. Holy is the word kadash in the Old Testament. It's used hundreds of times in different forms, but this is the first time it's used for God to describe himself. And it says, consecrate yourselves, which also means it's the same root word, okay? It's the same root word. So basically, God is saying, separate yourselves, 
be separate. I am separate. I am different. I am not like you. I am not like the world. I am not like people. And God is holy in two unique ways. If you turn to page five, if you have your little, or page four in your little booklet, we are using this. One way that he is separate is an attribute of his greatness, which is the way he's not like, sorry, he's not like us. He is unique. He is independent. You know, it's so hard for us to imagine this because we are dependent creatures. We depend on our parents. We depend on our friends. We depend on people who love us. We depend on the sun. We depend on our job. There's so much we depend on our sleep. All these things, we're so dependent on all these factors in our lives. But God is not like that. God is, God is not dependent. He is independent. People are needy. God is not. People lose control. God is in awesome control. And the verse that we read this morning, I didn't plan this, but this is one of the verses I want to read, Exodus 15, 11. It says, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? So God is, is separate in a very unique in special way that we cannot emulate. We cannot be like that because he is depend he is independent. He is God. We don't share this with God. This is the way he is. But there's also ways that we can be holy like God. Because God is holy in a moral sense. This is an attribute of goodness. And we can share this to a limited degree. He is perfect. He's morally perfect. He's not tainted with sin. The law in Leviticus, like I said, is for us to be set apart in our behavior and in our thinking. And it can be found to a limited degree in people. God is perfection in all that he does. He is clean in all his rules, and he's pure in all his motives. When was the last time we had, I had pure motives? Not very often. My motives are at best mixed. At best, they are mixed. And here's what it says in Psalm 19, verse 7. This is kind of try to give us a picture of the holiness of God. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true, righteous altogether. God's holiness is perfect, sure, right, pure, clean, and true. So that kind of gives you a picture. He's like, he's like the sun, right? The sun is independent. It's massive. The sun is about 100 times the size of Earth. It burns at about one, between one and two million degrees. It's 150 million kilometers away. It has blinding light, heat, independence, and earth revolves around it, not the other way around. It is beautiful. It is powerful. It is pure. It is consistent. That's who God is. God is like the sun. He is far. He is close to us and far from us. He's everywhere. 
He's omnipresent, but still his light and his heat, which we need to survive, reaches us. That's who God is. Another way to understand holiness is by what it is not. Okay, what is the opposite of holiness? It's unholiness. It's unholiness, and that's, who, that's kind of who we are. We should understand that we are unholy. It says in 1 Peter 1, 13 and 19, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. So we had former ignorance before we were Christians. We were conformed to those passions, the passions of our, of our mind and of our hearts. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. He's quoting the same verse in Leviticus. And it, says, it continues on. It says, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. The law was designed to make people morally holy. And it's easier to see the, sometimes the, the light and the beauty of God's holiness if we contrast it with who we are as unholy people. The people disobeyed, right? In that same scripture, in that same time period with Moses, they created the golden calf. Aaron's sons, the sons of Korah, were uh, disobeying God and put unholy fire there. They grumbled about the manna. They refused to enter the promised land. They said, no, we will not do what you want us to do. And we are the same today. We have mixed and impure motives. We manipulate circumstances and people for our benefits, and our minds are broken, okay? We are broken, unholy people, which is why it can be difficult to understand and, and conceptualize the idea of who God is as a holy God because we are not like that in a lot of ways. So what are some manifestations of God's holiness? First, God can't and won't tolerate our sinfulness. It says in Habakkuk 1.13, You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong... He cannot look at evil and see wrong. And this is where the idea of God's wrath, God's wrath is not an attribute of God, but it's a manifestation when his holiness meets our unholiness. That is the result, is the wrath of God. I have a couple of scriptures here. I'll just read a sampling. I didn't have to go far to look for God's wrath, okay? In Exodus twenty-two twenty-four, it says, you shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him, for you are sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry, and my wrath will burn, and I will kill you with the sword, and your wives shall become widows and your children fatherless. Exodus 32, 10. I have seen this people, God saying, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone in that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. Right? The people were disobedient, and God is, was not happy. He cannot tolerate sin. He hates sin. Our sin is completely incompatible with God in his holiness. If you think about it, one sin banished Adam and Eve. One sin cursed Canaan, the son of Ham. 
One sin kept Moses from the promised land. One sin struck Elisha's servant with leprosy. One sin, this is not just Old Testament, killed Ananias and Sapphira for not giving the true amount for their house and being honest about it. One sin killed all these people. Psalm 5.4 says, For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak with lies. The Lord abhors bloodthirsty and deceitful man. That is God, the wrath of God. And what is the final result of God's wrath? God's final result is hell. It is the punishment and the consequence of his holiness and our unholiness. So what can we do about this? Nothing. Unfortunately, there's nothing we can do because the law was given and we could not keep the law. We cannot keep the law because by our nature and by our choices, we break God's law. So there's nothing that we can do. But there's something that Jesus did. Jesus satisfied the wrath of God as a holy sacrifice to him. Steve mentioned this before, but the animals of the old covenant were a symbol of the cost of sinning. The cost of sinning cost life, which is being unholy and in opposition to God. It says in Hebrews 9.22, Indeed, under the law, Almost everything is purified, purified is another word for holiness, purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. The animals in the Old Covenant were symbolic of holiness because they were supposed to be without blemish, pure. But they were not morally holy. That's when Jesus came. Jesus came and he lived a life that was completely devoted and consecrated, set apart to God, completely perfect, no sin in keeping the law. It's, I mean, it's hard to even imagine a life without sin as a child, as an adult, totally obedient to parents, totally loving, totally kind, But that's what Jesus was. So if anyone earned it, it's Jesus. Jesus earned it. He earned to be connected to God, but rather God allowed him to be physically tortured to death. And spiritually, he took the wrath of all sin, of all those who believe in Christ from God onto himself. So he absorbed. So wrath has an eternal consequence of hell. So the hell for all the billions of people throughout history was compacted into several hours on the cross, squeezed down into its ugliest form and thrown upon Jesus. We deserve hell for our unholiness, but God sent his holy son Jesus into the world to both demonstrate holiness and to be a holy sacrifice so that we might have a way to be holy and like him. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We could do nothing. Jesus did everything. 
so that we can be holy. We get the righteousness. We get the holiness that Jesus earned. Jesus earned it. He did the work. He was holy. We get that for free. And Jesus got the punishment that we deserve for our unholiness and our worldliness. One pastor says, everyone gets what they deserve at the end of their life except for Christians. Christians are the only one, people who do not get what they deserve because we also deserve hell and banishment and damnation. But we don't get what we deserve. We get God's righteousness and we get to be holy. In conclusion, I want to talk about two kinds of people. There's two kinds of people in this room that I want to address this morning. And I'm familiar with a lot of you. I've known a lot of you. And I know there's some of both kinds of people here. The first kind of people are those who don't take God's holiness seriously. You are a person who's writing on grace and are just here to make some money, have some fun, maybe come to church because it's fun, good fellowship, which is not necessarily bad, but you're here just to kind of advance your personal kingdom, your kingdom, not God's kingdom. You feel like you've got it together. There's no need to change. I'm good. I'm fine. Not killed anybody. Not like Jeroboam. Didn't make golden calves. But you need to know that God will call people to account for how they've spent their lives. Think of the parable of the talents, right? The one who buried it in the sand. No, he took that from him, gave it to one who had 10, and cast that guy into outer darkness. Scary. I mean, that's, that's, that should be sobering to us. Also says, I think Steve talked about this last week, that we will be called to account for every idle word we've spoken. That scares me because I've said many idle words. That should be terrifying to us. You also need to know that we are all saved equally. We're justified equally. But we don't all glorify God equally. We don't all glorify God equally with our lives. God's discipline can yield a fruitless life. The people of Israel who who Moses and God were talking to on that mountain, these people refused to enter the promised land, and they wandered the wilderness until every last one of them died, except for Joshua and Caleb, who were obedient. You can live a fruitless life. You can be a Christian and go to heaven when you die, but I hope that you don't want to live a fruitless life here. I hope that you want to live a life that brings much glory to God. There is the day of judgment coming, and there should be a healthy fear of God because we're all going to be called to account. Every one of us, Christian and non-Christian, and the church first. It says, without holiness, it is impossible to see God, it says in Hebrews 12, 14. God's grace costs us nothing, yet it does cost us everything. God's grace is free, but it is not cheap. It was expensive. It was the most valuable thing God could offer up. 
And if you are one of those people this morning, I ask and I plead with you to change. The second kind of people, I think there's actually a much larger group of people who are in this category. These are the people who feel worn down by their sinfulness and feel worn down by life. Because many churches, even sometimes in our church, we kind of do this performance-based Christianity for holiness. Try harder, do better. You feel like you can't measure up or change. It is a major struggle just to get to church or life group or even read your Bible. You feel stretched to the breaking points. I know many of you, and we, I've talked to some of you. You feel like this is this merry-go-round that you cannot get off. And it just keeps going faster. And you feel, you feel the heaviness of your sin. You feel the weakness in your life and the frailty. But I have good news for you as well. Holiness is not about doing more. God is the one who makes us clean. God is the one who makes us clean. If you, in Exodus 3 verse 5... God says to Moses, remove your sandals for the place which you are standing on is holy ground. The dirt is made to set our sandals, our shoes are designed to keep us from touching the dirt, which is filthy. But in God's presence, God makes the dirt holy. God makes anything that he is in contact with holy. He changes us. And this is true also in Mark 1. It says, this is in verse 40. And a leper came to him, imploring him. And kneeling said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. Touch Jesus. Be with Jesus. You don't need to do more, but be close to Jesus because he will make you clean. All the impurity in your life will be made clean by Jesus, just like this man filled with leprosy in the ground which God made holy. You don't have to make yourself clean. It's not try harder, do better. His compassion is greater than our weakness and our unholiness. Stay close to Jesus. You are accepted as a holy child of God, based on Christ's perfection, not your own. You can come to God this morning fully convinced of the holiness of Jesus. He says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He is pleased with every second that you spend with him. Even if it's imperfect and full of weakness, distraction, even the tiniest, shortest prayer, Jesus, help. Jesus is pleased and that honors him and that blesses him and he loves you for that. You are children of the king and he loves you. He will change you in his timing and he wants to teach and grow you. You don't have to do more, ladies and gentlemen. You can just be close to Jesus. He will make you clean. He will make you pure. He will make you holy. 
my last scripture is, since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. This is First Peter again. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Knowing, just knowing, that's the key verb there, knowing that you were bought this way, that will make you clean, that will make you holy, that will allow you to change. Robin, if you can come up and play. So church, I just, if you're one of those two groups of people, I want to pray for you. I also want to ask, we're going to end service, but if the pastors could at the end come up, this is totally on the fly. If you want prayer, people would love to pray for you. I would hate for you to leave this room. And if anything you want to talk about, if you're one of those two groups of people, we would love to, the pastors would love to pray for you. And I'll pray for you right now. God, I thank you so much for my friends and family in this room. God, I thank you that you love them. You have a plan for their lives. I pray that you would slow down the merry-go-round in their lives. And even if you don't, you are there with them in all the craziness of this life and all the busyness and all the weakness and all the frailty that we have. God, I pray that you would touch them, touch each one of them who feel so stretched they can't just add one more thing to their lives. Even if that thing is holiness, God, you want to make them clean. You want to make them holy. You want to bless them. Please change us. I need it. I want to change. Many of us want to change. But God, your conviction is clear. Your conviction is not a life of guilt. That is from the enemy of our souls. But your conviction is clear and specific and empowers us to change by our presence with you. So Holy Spirit, if there is sin, convict it. It's not guilt. It's power to change. And I also pray for the first group that are not taking God's holiness seriously. I also pray that they would be touched. They would be changed. That they would get close to you and know that the way we live our lives matter to you. Lord, in our imperfection, in our weakness, we love you and we pray to you and we worship you. We just ask that you continue to bless us the rest of this day. We love you, Jesus, and we ask for this in your name. Amen.